Marginalized groups exist in every community. Their stories often get swept under the rug, forgotten, or minimalized. By sharing these stories, we hope to cultivate compassion and equip the local church to better care for all people. This is Life Stories. A note to our listeners. Some of the topics discussed in today's episode may be too mature for a younger audience. Take care while listening. On this episode of Life Stories, we will be talking to Life Task Force leader George Foyles. Welcome, George. Thank you, Beth. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Well, first off, I'd like to say that I'm a father, and I have a little girl named Lindy, and um, she is just four years old and just been an impact, a huge impact in my life. And um, I was saying that I'm a husband, too, married to Michelle. And between Michelle, Lindy, and God, they have made just the biggest impact in my life. I'm, I think that's one reason why I'm here, because those three have been working me over for the last few years. My heart feels so changed. And at the same time, I feel just completely wholeheartedly um, inadequate to be serving um, on this New Life Task team in, in this role, too. Because I think if, if you knew me, if, they, if the people that are watching this really knew me, um, they might have second thoughts. But again, that's why God's got so much grace and he never gives up on us. So, so that's me in a quick nutshell. You are the leader of the New Life Advocates. What do you guys do? Our role really is to, to educate really the church first about, about New Life. Obviously, most of us know about the, uh, a lot of the stats. You know, like there's just in America alone, there's 2,000 abortions every day. And so I think part of the team is um, the advocacy of New Life, that we might build it help people become aware of what's going on out there and to educate them that this is this is a big deal. And God, you know, holds every life precious and the dignity of everyone, no matter what their age is, including the preborn, need advocates that they may have life to the fullest of what God intended. You know, just like in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, when he says, you know, I have a plan for you, you know, not of disaster, but of good and hope. And so that's why we're here. And part of that is obviously ministering to uh, the women's clinic right here in Grapevine. Those guys are on the front lines. And so we're here to help to hopefully just help sustain them, encourage them, um, whatever they might need to be able to do their job. And so I feel very blessed to be able to, to be part of that. When you say new life advocacy, you are talking about educating people on the issue of abortion. Is that correct? That that is correct, and I think that's and that's how I started. I know we'll get into that a little bit later, but just to understand really what's going on out there, and really to care for 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 the mother and the preborn, those two people, and really what needs to happen too is also the mentoring of the father. Backing up a little bit, yeah. you talked about Lindy, your daughter, who's four and Michelle, and how the Lord has been using them to kind of change your heart over the last few years. What was your mentality? Did you have a different viewpoint maybe on new life at some other point in your life? And how has the Lord changed that or what has that process looked like? 
that that's a great question, and, and it really goes back um, before I was a Christian. I was I was definitely um, pro-choice, pro-abortion. I was one of those guys that um, was you know stuck in sexual addiction. I was you know that in pornography. This goes way back, but I can still remember just crying out to God. And because one of my friends had given me a Bible, and I happened to be just living in a hotel in Chicago, and reading the Bible, and at the same time, you know, watching porn, it was just a huge, tremendous, uh, tough time for me. And crying to the Lord, just saying, I really want to get out of this. And he answered, and ended up becoming a Christian. And um, that was just the start. That was many, many years ago. And because of all the hurt and past sexual addiction, it was really difficult for me. I didn't get, I didn't get married until I was in my 50s. It was just tough to see marriage completely different than I thought it was, too. And so, as I said early in the introduction, how Michelle has changed my heart. Fortunately, she's been a gift um, for me. At that point, I didn't even want to have kids either. So when Lindy was born, she was born with Down syndrome. And we didn't know it at the time. And the only thing that I knew when she was born was that that God knew. God had this plan. And I thought the only thing that I knew for certain was is that I knew that God would want me to love her. And I'm talking about the, the love, the kind of love that's in 1 Corinthians. And I never wanted to see her, you know, as a person with Down syndrome. I wouldn't see her as my daughter. And God has been faithful. I just I wouldn't change anything now. And I think knowing that, that was the start of realizing that every little child, including her, all these marginalized kids, that they need, they need some advocacy. They need love. They need to be just as, as treated as equal as anybody else. And that has been just, you know, I just get choked up about it because if it wasn't for her and if it wasn't for Michelle, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't even have the same heart that I have. And of course, God has always used every encounter for his deeper work in me. He's never given up. I mean, he's always been around. Uh, then Michelle was, wanted, wanted to foster. So I went through that whole thing. And I was just like, I didn't want to do that. And I remember the first time we brought home a foster infant that was born uh, two days uh, before we got her. And to make the decision, I was sitting there just thinking, I don't really want to do this. And... Um, but I thought, how can I knew that God wouldn't turn away for this? So how could I? And again, that was another step towards caring for this little person that deserved so much better than being with you know with us. And um, again, just trying to love on her and just realize that she was marginalized and that she at least the, at least the parents decided to have her. And so I think those are things of things that had kind of shifted and fueled my compassion for these moms. And, and I need to say one more thing that, that really is, is a big deal is that taking the Defending Life class, you know, here at Church of the Cross and, and going to the 4,000 steps. And I heard this stat that had my name written all over it. It, it talked about how, how the women would have chosen to um, deliver the child if they had received some encouragement from the father. And that 75% of the women would have chosen to have that child. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's, that was me back then. And so I get it. I get where, one, that the woman is in a terrible predicament, can only 
see disaster ahead on being on their own. And I think that's even, even JR was saying that don't, what did he say? He said, um, try not to listen to yourself, just try to talk to yourself. And so these, these women are just going through all this stuff and they're backed into a corner. And at the same time, I get where us men, we're, we're fallen, we're sinners, that it's a scary thing. And, and obviously we know the consequences, but we, we have a bigger desire to satisfy ourselves versus caring for someone and growing up and being a man. And so these men need to be mentored. And just understand where I came from, and, and I have compassion just realizing that I could have made a lot of the same mistakes, and I did make those same mistakes, and that they still get a chance. And that's why I just thought, man, we have served the best God, the great God, that He never gives up on us. And here I am now today that He hasn't given up, though I feel a little bit incompetent to be here. I know there's some things that I can do as a man. How did you and Michelle meet? We actually, that's again, that's another, God's all over me, it seems like. But I think the day that I had decided to stop dating younger women, the friend of mine said, hey, you got to meet Michelle. She lives down in Houston. I'm thinking, she's lots long distance. And I thought, well, you know what? It's, she's safe. I can, she's way far away. I can, I'll go out on a date with her. I could tell that she had some great virtues. Mm-hmm. So... And this really is a great story, too, because I had, we had dated for a while, and I had, I had stopped. I said, I can't do this. You're too young. I don't really want to have kids. And I know that was part of the deal, having kids with you. And then I saw my sister love her husband through cancer. And then I saw my father love my mom through her hospitalization. And I thought... I want a shot at this. So finally, I got a chance to see what, what really love and marriage was about, to realize that before, I was like, I didn't see any marriages that I cared. I just, I just heard arguing and icky stuff like that. And then I saw that, and I thought, wow. It just blew my mind. And then I thought of Michelle, and I thought, maybe I could have a chance with her. Um, so I won her back, and I'm not sure if that was good for her, but <laughs> it was good for me. And then we started, and it was hard, too, because she came from a broken past, too. And it was, it was tough. I wish I could do it over, because then you know that it kind of turns out okay, and I wouldn't have been so you know, wound up all the time. Then we had Lindy, and so things, I think, even though they were harder, they were better at the same time. Mm-hmm. So very, very thankful to be married to her. So was Lindy, um, was she a surprise baby for you guys, or had you decided that you were going to try for a kid? She, like I said, it was part of the deal. Mm-hmm. So Michelle wanted to go through IVF because she did have a miscarriage. And so we went through IVF, and she actually had a very good pregnancy, which was great. And all the sessions with the doctor, she seemed okay. So it was a surprise when she popped out yeah. that she had Down syndrome. And it, it was, it was, those are the first couple of rough days. And again, you just kind of wish, man, if I could do that over, I would have realized that God was with us. That's, that's the maturity level I'd really want to finally get to someday. It should probably be in heaven when I get there. But, but, um, so that was a, that was a big deal. I think it naturally takes some time to grieve big changes or loss of, expectation or, you know, things that you had hoped for for your child. And um, yeah, I can see how that would grow compassion in you. What about Lindy? What is she like? Well, she's the the delight of my life. You know, I just need to actually, 
and I'll jump around a little bit, but I actually send my friends her pictures if I know that they're having a bad day because you take one look at Lindy and you realize that she is full of joy 99% of the time and that she really has a better grasp of, on life and how it should be lived than most of this. So to me, she is, what a surprise. And again, it's, it's, there's, I'm, I'm being completely honest when I say that I wouldn't change anything. Now, if I would have known, which God was great, that, that she had Down syndrome, it would have been a really tough pregnancy to go through that with all the expectations. We had no idea. But again, she truly is a gift. And I wish people would really realize how afraid and didn't want to have kids. And now, I mean, my life would be, would be very empty without her. So that's Lindy. Right now, like I said, we're currently fostering mm-hmm. um, Annalise, who's three. And so it's just amazing that I find myself, child with special needs, fostering someone, and then being, being part of a ministry that's really trying to look after the preborn. And so all those things, I thought, I would have never imagined that I would be, be here. And again, just really trying to understand, okay, what can I do to help? And I just want people to know that as I go and, and talk to them, that they would understand that God does have a plan for them. It's going to be good for your heart. Don't think it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be hard, but it will change you for the better. And knowing that God wants you to choose life, that you would have a deeper relationship with God, others, your whole world expands because you end up knowing all these people that are going through some of the same things. The whole culture of people with these marginalized special needs or in the the whole community of foster, there's thousands and thousands and thousands you realize what a broken system it is and that you might just be able to help and take a step toward just saying okay how can i at least help change this thing for the better you talk about this marginalized people group and i wonder what you would want people to know because i'm sure there are some stereotypes and some myths And so if you had a chance to kind of set the record straight, what would you want people to know about this specific group that you minister to? What I would like them to know, because I think it's easier to to judge, we all can, that they made a bad choice. It's so easy to see someone else's, what their life should look like compared to seeing your own life. But you just have to look at them just to say that this mother, who I want them to see, that there are men out there that want to try to live for God, that they would li- try to live a godly life. And so the, the people that I would like to, at least in the church, and try to educate them is to realize that, you know what, they're no different than, than us. They're no different at all. They want love like everybody else. And unfortunately, they've made some bad choices trying to get that love. And it turned out to this. And, and again, if, if 75% would have chosen life because just of an encouragement, then you know that they want to try to do the right thing. But they just see disaster. Who knows about the, how, how fractured their, their life has been. And we need to, as Christ followers, is to man, just say, listen, this is not how it's supposed to be. How can I help you? Why do you feel like it's important to focus on the mother in these situations? I'd like to focus on the mother because that's definitely our direct report. The guy's usually out of the picture, not even present at this point. So at least that's one person that we can focus. If the women's climate is having these ladies come in and, and they do a great job trying to counsel these women. And so to me, if, if we provide for the needs of these women 
that they may say, you know what, maybe I can do this. That's the first step. And then hopefully that they would see God and then turn to God. I mean, because without God, it's, it is going to be pretty rough. And again, I, I really do want to and hope that we grow into a place that we can mentor for, for these men. I know how self-centered that I am. And I know that that's how typical men can be. Sure, there's a lot of great guys out there. But I, I know that we can err on the side of self-centeredness. We want our needs satisfied. We're going to try to get whatever we want, work-wise, money-wise. And I just think from that standpoint, they just want to use the people for their satisfaction. And having a child is just going to be a big roadblock for them to live their cool bachelor life. And um, so I want to tell them the cool bachelor life is not that great. There's something way bigger and, and really you're going to have to answer to God sometime. While this is probably a question you've already answered, is your job done when the mother chooses life for her child? Heavens no. And I think that's a big deal, too, because I think the church, I think as, as and I want to answer for the, all the church, but we sure do can fall down on just saying once we have a convert, okay, you're on your own now, and let me move on to the next person. And I, there's no way that God wants that for relationship. He brought us together that we would really have these deep relationships with each other. That's not easy. If we're going to go and mentor these men, these boys, we have to stick with them. And that is not easy in a busy, busy culture. I guess I'd like to quote from you know, Psalm 39, where David's crying out to God, just saying, remind me how short my life is that all our busy rushing ends in nothing. And where do I put my hope? That we have to realize that our business is mankind. And I'll go off on a tangent. Me and Michelle used to, to go to the Christmas Carol musical every year. And every time when Jacob Marley, when he's sitting there with Scrooge trying to tell him, you know, my, my business was mankind. My trade was just but a drop of water in this ocean. Our business was, you know, mercy and benevolence and the common welfare of, of mankind. If we don't include that in our busy life, then we're just rushing around. It's going to end in nothing. And so I hope that, that we just would, in our business, say, I've got to make room for this now. I'm in my 60s now. And I, and I thought, you know what? I've got to. I've got my own business and there's tons of stressors all the time. But I thought, I can't, I can't just ignore this. I've got to do this because I know that every encounter, God is there. And he's trying to, he's trying to make me a, a good man. And I've got to respond to that. If you were going to talk directly to the men of not just our church, but the big C church, what would you say to them if you had a platform to just this is why this is important. I would say that, I said, I said, men, you've got to realize this is your time on the planet. And you're, if you're really truly a follower of Christ, then let's first get our priorities in line. And you must look at this and realize that, come on, a million abortions every year? Something's very wrong. As men, we started this thing. We're the ones that that made women objects, and we're the ones that have kind of created this, even though uh, the culture at large doesn't believe that. They think that this is all about women, and they wouldn't even have a say in this. we got to stand up and be men, and there's some things that we can do. Heck, 
I move furniture. That's one of the biggest things I do for this ministry is try to set up these apartments for these single moms with furniture and a bed for the baby. Join me. Help me. I feel, like I said, inadequate. There's got to be someone a lot smarter than me that can reach out and more talented that can reach out and realize that we've got to get to these young men, make them men. And we have this great father in heaven. So come on, let's just get together and, and roll up our sleeves and get after this thing. That's what I'd like to say. When you think about humans being made in the image of God, how does that drive your ministry? Again, it goes back to the dignity of, of life, that God truly formed us in the womb. He says that several times in the Bible where he formed us. He, he knows us. And surely he has a plan for us. And it's not death. So I think that this is hugely important. We've seen the Bible time after time that it God makes God tremendously angry when we kill innocent life. It's, it's huge to realize. And then if you would just take a step further, and if I wish you to see a picture of my Lindy and realize how beautiful she is, and she's four years old, and she would believe me, she was beautiful at one and two, even though when she came out, she was a little, you know, scary for me. But They always look like raisins. Exactly. Yeah. They look like a little alien. <laughs> yes. But, oh my gosh, she's delightful. And she know that she's, she's created, you know, with intricate care. And yes, she, she does have a syndrome. But I'm telling you, man, she is, she is um, magnificently made and made for a purpose. I think it's fascinating and just so glorifying to the Lord to see that that was your struggle in your life and that it has not only led you to desire to mentor men towards the Lord, but specifically in a way that promotes family, that promotes life, that promotes children, all of these things that you didn't want. I'm still, like I said, since I'm, I'm a new husband, new, new father, and and I appreciate you saying that because you actually, yeah, pointed out stuff that I really didn't know it until you had really pointed out. It, I can assure you that it, being a Christian for some time, I, I tried everything but the children's ministry and anything to do with with mothers and and things like that. I tried to do you know, help the poor or, or service projects or whatever sort of manly thing I could think of. And now finally, I think just because of here by circumstance or God's will is that I just said, okay, I'll show up to this. And, and really, like I said, the influence of my wife and stuff like that, just saying yes to whatever may be, I think was a big change instead of me trying to control how I served. And now I'm here and I'm very scared his grace is way bigger than our sin or whatever mistake that we make. That is very comforting to me. In the ideal situation, if you could have, you know, as many volunteers, as much funding as you had, what would you want to see happen? And, and a good, that's a great segue to at least try to say, what, what can we do? And I, I, I think, let's say for, for men, I just think if we had the resources, the training that we could start to develop some community with some of these guys that are going through some of this stuff as, as early fathers, that we would be able to have a format that we would get together and just say, hey, we're in this group together. Let's, let's, let's do life together as you become a father. And so it would have to be community with these men, 
um, be highly involved with their life. And then the same thing with, with the mothers, that they would have some women gather alongside them, that they would continually meet with them. And this is not for the faint of heart, just like most big things like marriage and relationship are not for the faint of heart, that we would just get involved with these men, that they would become followers and believers. I think once then you might have a chance with the Holy Spirit to have these hearts change. And then I think that you can make some headway with some of these men, these young men to become truly godly men and be able to be good husbands and good fathers. I think that's that's the only way. Yeah, because that was the change you needed, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah thank you. Yeah. I can that's kind of speak from experience from there. Yeah. That's, that's what I needed to have. Yeah. It took a long time. Yeah, it does. George, thank you so much for sitting down and sharing all of this. On behalf of the church, I I want to say thank you for your honesty. I think it's encouraging. I think it's refreshing. And I will be praying for men to join the ranks. So thank you. Thank you very much, Beth. I just like I said, I hope my words might just penetrate someone's heart that they would turn to Christ. Thanks again. Life Stories is a production of the Life Task Force at Church at the Cross. For more information, go to churchatthecross.com.